0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Hello, Grace DC and friends. Pastor Glenn Hoberg here. Glad to be with you on this Sunday for worship. And today we'll conclude our series On the Holy Spirit. The final topic being the creativity of the Holy Spirit. Now, if there's one belief shared by many people, whether they're religious or non religious, it's someone, someone is responsible for all of this the universe, the world, ourselves, some designer, some creator. And maybe uh, you, upon seeing a beautiful sunset, or a glorious mountain, whispered uh, some thanks, uh, felt some awe and gratitude. And yet, it often escapes our attention how intimately God is involved in what he has made. More so, the creator that he is. Edith Schaeffer once said, God was the first sculptor forming mountains using a variety of stone textures. White marble near Pisa, granite-streaked terracotta in the Grand Canyon, green stone of Zermatt. God was the first lighting designer, the dark purples and reds of the morning sky, the white sea foam highlighted by moonlight. He was the first landscape artist. Of course, we have the Garden of Eden. In this activity of creativity wasn't just limited to one person of the Godhead. One church father has said that God the Father, who said, let there be light, has two hands of creation. One, the eternal Son of God, where we're told, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And as our passage tells us, the other hand being the Holy Spirit. And so we'll focus our attention today on beholding the Spirit's creativity and reflecting the Spirit's creativity. First, beholding the Spirit's creativity. This past spring, uh, there was a bird nest under construction on the ledge of our front door. And uh, after a few failed attempts, it finally got established. And of course, the bird... Uh, had an egg in there, and uh, what would happen is we would open our door to leave. Uh, The bird, the robin, would fly and perch on the tree opposite our front door and just watch. Also chirp a bit, some alarms. Well, this is a picture of the Holy Spirit in the initial creation. We're told in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That word hovering is used to talk about birds that hover. The Bible tells us that the person who was present and executed the vision and the plans of the Father and Son was the Holy Spirit. One Old Testament scholar said, the universe owes its being to the Holy Spirit. Another writer has said, the Spirit is behind harvest and springtime, gravity and thermodynamics, general relativity and quantum mechanics. He promotes order and beauty in our world. And if the Spirit were to withdraw, all things would collapse. He is both co-creator and sustainer And he is the one who empowers us, who are small-c, creators. The Spirit is the one who empowers Bessalel and the others mentioned in this passage. In fact, this is the first time in the Bible we find the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Who would have thought? We might have naturally thought, well, it would refer to those who were praying or those that were preaching, or those that were prophesying, or maybe those that conquered giants. Not those that are drawing blueprints, or dyeing wool, or chiseling, or sawing. But that's the case, the first mention. And it's not a one-off mention. Over and over in this passage, in a few other chapters devoted to the tabernacle, we find mention of the Spirit repeatedly, often coupled with the word skill, In Exodus 28, uh, we read, You shall speak to all the skillful, whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. The creativity of the spirit is skillful. When we started Grace DC in 2003, and we were just forming our initial group, uh, and began to worship, I had asked that uh, only if you had uh, studied or formally performed, maybe in a choir, or professionally, uh, that only you would come forward to audition for the worship team. Now, this upset some folks, offended some folks, but I wasn't saying that only professional musicians can make a joyful noise. Of course they can serve the community. But what we see in the passage here is that the more we get to formal public worship, there is a higher standard of skill that ought to be expected. The Lord expected it. And it's not by chance that it was skill. It was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord expected the place of public worship to be a place where his skill was shining through us. Why? Well, because skill is related to beauty, and beauty is related to glory, and beauty and glory are related to God. In chapter 28 of Exodus, the Lord says to Moses, Make garments for the high priest, and they must be made for glory and beauty. Beauty is important to the Lord. Why? Because it's glorifying of Him. In Isaiah we read, In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of His people. Did you hear the relationship there between beauty and glory of God? In the case of the tabernacle and the temple, Its creativity glorified the beauty of who God was, his relationship to his people, and his faithful love. Now, does that mean all creativity must be made for the purpose of worship in the church? Of course not. God created stars and beasts and even creepy crawly things, maybe even cicadas. And what did he say afterward? It is good. Creativity that is true and right and good glorifies God just the same. Which means creativity that is false and ugly or poor does not glorify him. For example, if we create stories that act like sin and evil don't exist, well, that's not true. Yet if we create stories where sin and evil get the last word and we leave out hope and love, well, that's not true either. The the Bible is actually a wonderful example of a good, true, and right story because the spirit both inspires us to see the the tragic result of sin, but also the glory of redemption. And this leads us to the second point, what it means to reflect the Spirit's creativity. Now, the Spirit's greatest creation is you and I, humankind. We're told that the man and woman were made in the glory of God's image, an image that can only be accurately and fully depicted by the diversity of race and ethnicity we find in the world and also male and female. Each one, though, is given a role as a mini-creator. We see this so clearly in kids, don't we? When our eldest daughter was just a toddler, uh, we had walked into her room and uh, we noticed that she had taken all the stuffed animals and Tied their hands behind their back with a Lego with hairbands, and we said, "Maddie, what, what is this?" And she looked at us, and her eyes lit up, and she said, "Backpacks." In her creative mind, she she was doing this, giving all her stuffed animal backpacks. Now, in recent years, this native creative uh, creativity has become more recognized. Uh, as neuroscientists do work, they demonstrate that creativity is not just for right-brain folks, but it's a whole-brain thing. And as people study work, they come to understand that creative, creativity can be found in every field. And it includes activities far beyond playing guitar or painting a portrait. And we see it reflected in the words of the passage, the filling of the Holy Spirit. For instance, wisdom, the ability to understand instruction. Discernment, the ability to solve problems. Skill, the ability to accomplish labor itself. And while one man is highlighted and his assistant, we're told later that the Lord gave to all able men that ability. In chapter 5, it brings in the women, skillful women employed to dye and do yarn work. Creativity is a mark of those made in God's image, and it takes work and sacrifice. In the book of Genesis, God is depicted in the creation as a Hebrew day laborer, morning and evening. That was the rhythm of the, the workday. And so he is seen as a worker that's creating things. And that then moves in us to think about the great purpose creativity affords us. Now, the Lord gives a lot of sp- uh, specific instruction in these passages. But he also leaves lots of room and freedom for them to interpret and, of course, produce. There's no directions about what the molding ought to look like. There's not even directions about how the cherubim should appear. One of the great Hebraists, Kyle and Dalich, said, The meaning of the text was that the workers were qualified to think out inventions. Now, for some of us, inventing in our vocation might be developing fundraising teaching children, medical research, writing code, even party planning. But this text also reminds us, uh, especially for those in the field of art. Uh, many times, artists have been misunderstood in the church and mistreated, told that art for art's sake isn't enough. Uh, Phil Riken, who wrote a wonderful commentary on the book of Exodus, said this in the, about this passage. Artists are called and gifted Personally, as if by name, to make things for the glory of God. The call should be pursued no matter what sacrifices are required. Most artists face difficult decisions about meeting their practical needs, doing something not directly related to their artwork. But the one thing artists should never do is abandon their calling. If you are called to be an artist, be an artist. God's gifts are never to be hidden, never to be denied. Even if sometimes, for reasons of practical necessity, art becomes an avocation rather than a vocation, it should still be pursued with deep joy and a strong sense of purpose. And yet, artists are just one uh, class of creatives. Let's remember that when the first man and woman were created, the mandate to develop and cultivate the world was to give to everybody. So it applies to all of us. And as the Spirit of God recreates us, our creativity then is unleashed to flourish in a way like never before. One of the tragic results of mankind's alliance with sin and evil is the way creativity gets employed for destructive ways. Creativity used for the end of, uh, toward the end of deception, scheming, greed, degrading, objectifying, instead of for the purpose of what is true, good, and beautiful. Each of us, you and me, has vandalized God's creation, the world, our neighbor, even ourselves. Yet the Lord just doesn't leave us on the garbage heap. The fact that beauty and glory endure in this world is a sign of grace, that God wants to lead us to Him so that we might come to see the most beautiful and creative act of His love, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we're told the Lord himself, the creator, became a person in Jesus Christ, bearing our mortal, sinful, intemporal nature, wearing its shame and guilt. He became ugly to God for our sake. Why? So that he might wash us in righteousness, present us without spot and blemish, splendor before God's sight. So the reign of destruction would end, in the age of Reconstruction, would begin like never before, with the promise that one day it'll be so free and powerful no eye could see or even hear or imagine what the creativity of God's people will accomplish. Johnny Ive, who was one time Apple's Senior Vice President of Design, said, I think that one of the things that just compels us is that we have a sense that in some way, by caring about design, We are actually serving humanity. People might think it's a stupid belief, but it's a goal. It's a contribution that we hope we can make in some small way to culture. That is true because of God's image. But how much more for those of us that know the Spirit, in whom the Spirit dwells, who have been united to Christ. Now, I confess, as I was thinking about this sermon and this call to creativity, I thought, well, aren't folks just too tired to create? We've just been through a pandemic. We're still in a pandemic. Well, I want to remind you, Israel had just come off of 400 years of slavery, and now they're wandering in the wilderness. And yet still God enabled them to fulfill that mandate of creativity. So let me leave you with three thoughts. That this week, that you might praise our creative Lord the Holy Spirit as you notice things, as you pay attention to the creation. Second of all, that you might take just a few minutes and ask, what does creativity look like in my life? What does it look like in my job? What does it look like in my hobbies, avocation? Have I made room for it? And lastly, would you look to the Spirit to refresh your creativity, even now? Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.